Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Some cases have outcomes one may never have expected. On November 3rd, 1982, a man went missing and, though he has never been found, his disappearance sparked a deeper look into the corruption and effectiveness of the Queensland Police Department. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In November of 1982, Anthony John Jones, Tony to all of his friends, and a native of Perth, Western Australia, was in the final leg of a six-month working holiday around Australia that had already taken him to places like Adelaide, Melbourne, Canberra, and Sydney. Settling for several months in Brisbane before taking the final leg of his journey with his brother, Tim Jones, Tony hitchhiked the final journey while his brother rode a bicycle, leaving messages for each other through relatives along the way and meeting up from time to time. On October 28, 1982, Tim set off on a 900-kilometer bike ride out to Mount Isa while Tony made a side trip to Cairns. When he arrived back in Townsville on November 3rd, he phoned his family and girlfriend back in Perth and was surprised to find out that Tim had already made it to his destination. His mother told him that she had topped off his bank account with an additional $150 to be split with his brother. He said his goodbyes and headed off to meet Tim. 
the 20-year-old never made it to Mount Isa and was never heard from again. After not hearing from Tony for a while, his brothers, Mark and Brian, accompanied by their mother, flew to Townsville to see if they could find out any information on Tony's whereabouts. They were shocked to find out just how many people go missing in the area and with a sudden shift into hopelessness, started knocking on doors to try and find out if anyone recognized Tony. They called hospitals, friends, and were even able to trace the last call he made from a phone booth in Rosley, while using his phone records and bank statements as a sort of treasure map, with the government offering a $20,000 reward for any answers. That reward was eventually increased to $250,000. When no one came forward and all of their leads went to sudden dead ends, they came to the harsh realization that Tony may have died at the hands of another human being. They ended up leaving Townsville with no answers and a hell of a lot of questions. His brother, Mark Jones, has tirelessly and doggedly pursued every single lead his brother's case has ever had. To this day, Tony Jones's body has never been found. Coroner Ian Fisher, in his 2002 findings, stated his belief that Tony was the victim of homicide and died on November 3, 1982, the day he made that final phone call. Despite this, the Jones family had difficulty getting his death certificate because of an anomaly in the Queensland legislation which prevented the issuance of a death certificate in cases where the coroner failed to give a location of death. Because of this odd gap in the law, the Attorney General of Queensland and Minister of Justice, Linda LaVarque, introduced a new legislation in 2005 and, after determining the Jones family had suffered enough, issued his certificate in January of 2006. But the family wasn't done fighting for justice. They wanted to know what happened to Tony and were willing to do anything to make sure that they found out. In 2007, while reviewing the inquest documents in Tony's case, the Jones family unearthed a plethora of neglected leads. Deeper dives showed the unsatisfactory response of both police and government officials and a complete refusal to refer the case to the cold case unit, despite the fact that Tony's body had never been found. Because of their persistence, the family petitioned the attorney general to reopen the inquest on June 14, 2009. It was ignored for 15 months. In September of 2010, the Queensland government launched a campaign called Walk a Day in My Shoes in a bid to gain favor with its citizens and correct the plummeting opinion polls. Brian Jones, one of Tony's brothers, sent the attorney general ignoring their petition, Cameron Dick, a pair of his brother's shoes, daring him to walk in the shoes of a victim they seemed keen to brush under the rug. On September 18, 2010, the day after the shoes arrived, Cameron Dick announced that he was reopening the inquest. As the inquest started up and delays started to pop up here and there, the Jones family received some news in 2011 from a retired grazier from Cloncurry who claimed that there was old evidence in Tony's case that had either been lost or forgotten for the last few decades. According to this man, he had given officials some physical evidence which he and an old friend, a retired police officer, had found on the edge of the township about 29 years ago. What he handed over was the remnants of some camping gear and a letter addressed to Tony Jones from his mother. The family was shocked and the witness said that their lack of response had always frustrated him. 
When the family relayed this story to the coroner in the new inquest, they instructed the police to conduct a thorough search of the campsite. They did so on October 11, 2011, and after six hours of searching, the eight-person team claimed they found no sign of Tony's body or any of his belongings. They then told the media, who by now had turned on the local police, that they were going to look into the incident with the Cloncurry Department. Two days later, a former prisoner came forward claiming that, while incarcerated at the Townsville Correction Center in January of 2000, his cellmate confessed they, quote, did a bloke near Mount Isa. Looking through the prison records, investigators named Michael James Londes as the loose-lipped criminal. And while more information was expected to come to light at the inquest, delays resulted in a major missed opportunity when Michael died in Perth on October 17th, 2015 at the age of 53. He was never really questioned about the case or asked where Tony's body may be as the inquest was on hold at the time. A new lead came in February 2014 when Tony was linked to a country town in northwest Queensland and a team of detectives were dispatched to look into the new and promising lead. On February 12th, the Townsville Detective Acting Superintendent said that the information garnered from their search indicated that Tony may have been murdered in the town of Hewenden, a place that, back in December of 1982, had been a place of interest when at least five citizens came forward saying that, on the weekend of November 12th through the 14th, they had spoken to a young hitchhiker who looked a lot like Tony Jones. Police at the time collected their statements and made some inquiries around the town. And after ruling out some of these sightings, one witness remained certain that she saw Tony Jones at the Grand Hotel on November 12th. But she claimed he had a Abraham Lincoln-style beard. Realizing that he had shaved just a few days before his disappearance, and with no charges being made to his bank account on those days, the Hewenden lead was shot down and dismissed completely by both the lead investigator and the 2002 inquest. Finally, after delay upon delay, just over six years after filing their initial request, on April 14, 2016, State Coroner Terry Ryan held a pre-inquest hearing and scheduled a start date of August 29th until September 9th of 2016. During these inquests, a number of things came to light. First was the fact that, despite the Jones' first call to report Tony missing coming in on November 11, 1982, the actual search didn't begin until the family arrived in Queensland three days later to report him missing in person. The police then failed to perform even the most basic inquiries into the case and let the family perform their own door-to-door search without any police assistance. Not to mention the fact that a witness came forward just after the disappearance with a potential suspect, but for some reason, they refused to release the composite sketch of a suspect created from the identikit until 10 years after they received their information. Investigators were described as uncooperative with any and all inquiries and didn't even take seriously several witness reports obtained in 1982 until 2001. In fact, there were so many issues with the department that a separate inquiry was held and, at the end, determined that the Queensland police culture in the 80s was, quote, debilitated by misconduct, inefficiency, incompetence, and deficient leadership. So much so that the police commissioner at the time was jailed for corruption. 
However, it was argued that, at the time, little to no resources were designated for missing adults, meaning Tony's case was brushed under the rug simply because he was over the age of 16. This, though, does not excuse the fact that a number of leads were completely ignored by the local police. According to the inquest, police received a tip in January of 1983 involving the whereabouts of Tony's body. A letter was sent to the station postmarked from Kieran's, where Tony had visited just days before and said the following. I believe body of A.J. Jones buried in or near Fullerton Riverbed within 100 yards west-south side Flinders Highway, Lockshiel. They conducted a fruitless two-day search and concluded that the letter was simply a hoax. According to the inquest, weeks before the search, the dry riverbed was flowing with about 20 feet of water, which offered little hope in finding any trace of Tony Jones. But despite being asked by the family, the police refused to try and extract the DNA from the letter and find out who the author was. They claimed the letter had not been preserved, but when later asked during the in- but when later asked during the inquest, they admitted that the letter was lost. And as for that suspect sketch that wasn't released until 1992, according to some of the first few tip-offs, the sketch had a likeliness to the former police superintendent, Mervyn Henry Stevenson, a former stock squad officer who retired about a year before Tony Jones went missing. A retirement tainted with the accusations of corruption. According to the documents, Mervyn's name first came to light at the 2001 inquest, but it wasn't discovered until the newest inquest that, for one reason or another, police never investigated his involvement in the disappearance. A second sketch was later produced by the Townsville Bulletin and yielded several more leads that had not been investigated by the time of the newest inquest in 2002. The coroner at the time suggested police look into two persons of interest named Pickering and Douglas. But seven years came and went, and by the time police decided to act upon the coroner's instruction, both men were dead. The inquest also determined that the dental records police had on file did not belong to Tony Jones, because at some point, the police had lost the records and replaced them with someone else's. Documents continued to get lost, leads completely ignored, relationships grew hostile, and by the time the most recent inquest was started, the cracks and faults in the case were almost blinding. In 2015, police began an investigation into the whereabouts of a broken-down rifle that Tony was known to carry while hitchhiking. It was something he always had but never really told anybody about, so the police released a photo of the gun in hopes of drumming up some new leads. The photo police released was not even the right gun and showed their persistent negligence when they followed a lead that a similar gun was given to a witness by his brother-in-law, a key suspect in the investigation. When they showed the witness the photo of the rifle, they did not recognize the gun and dismissed their claim. The photo was the same incorrect one that was released to the public. To this day, the gun, the right one, has never been found along with its owner. As of 2018, the inquest into Tony's disappearance and possible murder is still in progress. The reward is still valid, and they continue to urge people to come forward with any valuable information. Tony's disappearance became the catalyst for the establishment of Australia's National Missing Persons Week back in 1988, and is now held every year in hopes of highlighting the missing and the family 
who mourns them. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 4th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.